This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get on to the episode. Welcome back to the Principal Leadership Lab, a podcast experience created for you by two public school administrators. Without further ado, let's join Jeff and Adam in this week's episode. Hey, Adam, welcome back. Another episode of the Principal Leadership Lab. So glad to be here with you, my friend. How are you? Thanks, Jeff. I am doing well. It is December and it feels more like October, November in Wisconsin. We don't have any snow. I don't think it's even freezing outside right now. No, same here in Illinois. I mean, we, uh, we, we saw snow. I'm sure you guys have, have you, have you seen any snow at all? A little bit, but nothing, no accumulation. Yeah, no, nothing has nothing, nothing sticking to the ground yet, which I'm fine with. I'm not ready for that. I don't mind that. Like, you know, we talked about this at, I don't know, a week or two ago. Um, whether you're a, whether you're a summer or a winter person, you know, and I I think everyone, every single person I talked to about that said summer, but many of us said, we like to look at the winter. Like I'd be fine if I could look at it. Exactly. I don't know. You're, you're up there though. way tucked away behind the cheddar curtain though. I mean, you, you, you like to get out there and play in it and walk around in it. And we were really hoping that this year would be, you know, because of COVID-19 that we'd be able to experience outdoor things. So now we just have cold, so there's no snow, so the sledding is out, skiing is out. The ice isn't on the lakes, so we can't go ice fishing, eh? So it's just, uh, just a, it's, it's not really winter yet, but I'm hoping that we have something to do because our families are going to be itching to get outside because of COVID-19, and I think it's safer if we could go ice fishing and be outside on the lakes and snowmobiling and all those cool winter things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the only time that I've ever experienced um, Wisconsin with you on the on the ice was when uh, we played broomball and I knocked you on your butt. Remember that? And then won <laughs> yeah. the game. Yeah, I, I remember playing broomball. I don't remember that part of the game, though. <laughs> you don't? <laughs> no, you were more like Bambi on the ice. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I won. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's how it went. Awesome. I don't, I don't, I wonder if our guest today knows what broomball is. I mean, he's, he's around this area, you know, the Midwest from Indiana. He is, why, why don't we just bring him in? I mean, the, the director of professional learning at the International Center for Leadership and Education, also an author, and he served as just, uh, I, I could read his bio people and it would take the next half hour. Uh, he's done so many things. He's served as a consultant, a manager, a director. He's been an elementary teacher. Uh, um, uh, assistant principal, principal, uh, Mr. Adam Drummond, Dr. Adam Drummond. Adam, how are you, my friend? I'm doing well. And I, I do know what broomball um, is, having lived in Indiana in the Midwest. Hey. Area, so uh, I am familiar with that. And uh, I do like to look at the snow much more than I like to be in it as well. So um, <laughs> I, I think that that's probably uh, a pretty standard thing for people who live in the snow. A lot of us just want to look at it and, and then enjoy the warm weather. Well, we are so thrilled to have you in. I'm not that thrilled to be sitting with two Adams. Uh, <laughs> You're in great company. 
but I'm going to, I'm going to trust you on that, that I'm in great company and uh, we'll, we'll go from there. We'll see how this, how this show goes, but yeah, Adam, that was my, my really first, my first experience with Broomball. Uh, Adam DeWitt and I used to teach together. And so we would take the kids up to camp um, in the winter, in the dead of winter. People always asked us why, you know, why we do that. And uh, um, we even one year, we even had our principal go with us and um, he, we told him to do <laughs> We told him to wear boots uh, because it was winter and, and uh, he had, he showed up in his cowboy boots. Brand new so, ones. Brand new ones. I don't, I don't think he quite, quite got it that like, this was going to be the dead of winter nope. and uh, he needed some boots on. So he didn't get to play in the snow with us, but that was my first experience with broom ball. And it was a whole lot of fun. I, I do think though, I'm just kidding. I do think I spent most of the time uh, on my derriere uh, on the ice. I always forget to tell you, Jeff, that, uh, our principal called me down to the office and he called me out of my room. I was teaching and he called me down. I thought it was an emergency. So of course <laughs> I go down and I had somebody cover my class for, you know, a hot second. I get down there and he's got a great big box in his desk and he says, Adam, I got to talk to you about this. And I'm thinking, what did I do? Cause there's things that I do. So I, he opens a box and there's a brand new pair of cowboy boots. And I'm thinking, what's that for? And he said, well, you said I needed boots. So I kind of thought he was joking with me, like setting me up for a prank. And I didn't know if I should tell him or if I should just roll with it. Well, history has shown I rolled with it. And it's been a it's been a an ongoing laugh for me and Jeff for 23-ish years now. Oh so, yeah. Oh yeah. Yep. I didn't have the heart to tell him, don't don't wear those. He meant so he was he just meant so well. He was just trying to be nice. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. So Adam, 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 our guest, Adam, Adam Drummond. Um, listen, to, uh, so, you know, we're all in the Midwest. I'm glad you know about Broomball. Um, you're out in Indiana there. For, for our listeners today, I mean, can you just, uh, you know, share a little bit about your journey? I mean, tell us, uh, you work for the ICLE, the International Center for Leadership and Education. Um, I, I'm not sure if everybody will know what that is, but the, I mean, anyone in education probably does, but how did you get Get there and, and what do you do now? Tell, take us through your journey a little bit. Yeah, so uh, just like you said in the intro, I started out as an elementary middle school teacher. Um, started my career working in a rural K-8 school um, where I kind of got bumped around. It was early 2000s. So, you know, it was when um, positions were being cut. So I was last hired. Um, and so I just went through this series of five years where every year I received the the pink slip and just said, you know, mm. we, we can't guarantee a job for you and we'll let you know. And uh, fortunately, with um, some great teachers who retired um, in that building, uh, two consecutive years, I kept getting hired back into the same school. So I, you know, third grade, fourth grade, middle school English, and then got bumped to another school where I taught fifth grade and then a bump to another school. Um, where I did some first grade work and, and did some professional learning. And it was really during that time where I started doing district professional development and had the opportunity to work as a K-12 technology specialist. And uh, that was for the entire district, uh, which was uh, seven elementaries, two, two middles, the K-8 and the high school, and found out very quickly that me being the only tech specialist to help teachers integrate technology was not a great model. Mm. Uh, one of me, 450 of them, uh, yeah. I really found it was whoever talked the loudest got my attention because that was about the only method I could do. Um, and so our district recognized that as well. And so 
did a lot of re restructuring around professional learning, brought on some other folks. And so we really became more generalists in the professional learning place. And it was that in that part of my career where I realized I wanted to move into administration, where I wanted to be able to have a, a singular focus and work with a school and, and helping students achieve and grow and, and helping staff build a collective teacher efficacy. And so I went back to school, got my master's in administration and was an elementary principal, uh, worked in a turnaround school for six years and really had a, a great experience in, in transforming education. And through professional learning um, outside, made some contacts with uh, various companies that we worked with in our district. Um, and when an opportunity came up at ICLE to work with districts across the country, uh, I was able to take advantage of that opportunity and so moved into this director role at ICLE. And now I work with schools and districts across the country, helping them to boost academic achievement and, and grow and build collective teacher efficacy. Wow. That's, that's quite a journey. Um and an interesting one as, as well to work with teachers and, and um, just across the country. So, I mean, I mean, imagine that this role for you is kind of at a different place right now, maybe with, with all the, with all the travel on, under COVID and everything, how has that changed your yeah. role? You know, just like everything else in the education landscape, it changed overnight, right? Like March 12th, I was in, in the Atlanta airport coming back from working with a couple of schools in the Atlanta area. Um, and that was the last day I traveled. And prior to that, you know, I was on the road 70% of the time working with schools and districts inside their, their facilities and helping to support them. And so just, just like education, the very next week, you know, everything closed down and we had to reimagine what does service look like for teachers and leaders. Mm -hmm. And so we um, really reinvented the, the professional learning landscape for our, our partners that we work with. And so we do advisory-based work. We do leadership coaching that are really hourly-based, um, professional learning for teachers, hourly-based, uh, a lot of instructional planning, coaching. We have our, um, some of our consultants jump into Canvas Zoom lessons with teachers and observe in a virtual setting mm -hmm. and provide coaching and feedback that way. So um, lots of creativity during this time of, of transition for education. <laughs> You've been uh, one of the people that has gone from working with students inside of a school and teachers within inside of a school and then now adults mainly, right, is what I'm assuming. Yep. How's that? I mean, I think a lot of people think it's going to be a great job. You can travel around, you can work with adults, but adults must be really easy to teach, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. You know, I when I was a professional development coordinator in my district is really where I found my passion for working with adults and could really see the impact of peer-to-peer of -peer collaboration and how to impact the lives of students. And so I think from there, having that passion of, of adult learning and helping folks who wanna better themselves really started that journey for me. And then moving into the principalship, the same thing, um, being able to support teachers. And so when this opportunity at ICLE came, it really was a, a natural fit for a passion that I didn't know that I had. And so now, mm -hmm. You know, I think the, the great part about the work is no matter where I'm at in the country, everybody is working toward the same goal. And that's to create successful adults who can have a future where they can thrive and be, uh, and be happy individuals. And we have lots of different ways to get there, but that's the, the root of all the work that we do each and every day. One of the things that I read that I liked a lot uh, in just in, in prepping for today was your mantra of 100% of the students, 100% of the time. How'd that come about? Because that's not an easy mantra to live up to. 
Yeah, you know, that really came from the work that I did as a turnaround principal in a, a high poverty turnaround school. And I think, you know, in those moments, um, I think there are times that we have to look in the mirror and really ask, why are we doing what we're doing? And are the decisions we make in the best interest of students or are the decisions that we make um, maybe in, in support of the adults that are working in the schools? And that constant reminder every day that we're here for students. Schools were created for students and learning. They weren't created for conditions for teachers necessarily. That doesn't mean we don't support teachers. That doesn't mean that we're not passionate about making sure teachers get what they need um, and that they are being fed as well. But it's, it's really about the students and each student is unique and we need to figure out how to make sure that every student can cross that finish line. Hmm. That fits into a lot of the work that we're, that is, you know, kind of buzzy right now with UDL or RTI or MLSS, any, any, any of the cool phrases that we've come up with in education. So you were kind of like the forerunner to all of these buzzwords, right? I don't know about that, but you know, I I think we are seeing this in, in my colleague and friend, Eric Schoeninger, you know, he really talks around personalized learning right now. Um, And, and I think this environment, we see a lot of that. Um, is how do we reach each individual child and every student is on their, his or her own journey. And we've got to figure out how to help them be successful in that journey. Um, and right now that's a, a really difficult lift for lots of folks, but if we can keep the students at the heart of what we're doing each and every day, um, that can help us maintain that focus and clarity. Eric is a, a good connection that I can share with you because we have that in common aside from just being Adams. Uh, yeah. A few years ago, <laughs> before working in my current district, I worked for a like a service agency in Wisconsin, and I was trying to teach people that in rural areas, it's going to be technology that flattens the divide, that we're going to be innovative, we're, and, and technology is going to be the component that helps us compete with urban areas where they have resources that they're abundant with, and um, I contacted Eric and I said, hey, would you be able to join us and hang, do a hangout, is what it was at the time, and he's like, yeah, and I thought, Oh my gosh. He just said, yes. I mean, he's going to do it. So he talked to the group of principals that I had in the, in the room for about half an hour. And he, at that time it was when his book came out and he was recognized as the Twitter principal of the year. And um, I was just amazed. And so were all the other principals that we can still do all of these neat things in rural Wisconsin or rural America and make a difference. So I'm glad that you and Eric are continuing the work. Absolutely. And he, now he works for ICLE as well, doesn't he? Eric? Yeah, he's one of our associate partners and thought leaders. So there's okay. uh, opportunities where we get to connect right now. He's doing some work in, in Kentucky um, with the Department of Education and working with principals, exactly what you just talked about, Adam, um, and, and making sure that we're ready for the, the challenges that students are faced. And part of that is a digital divide. And how can we leverage digital resources, tools, systems to help students be successful? It's, it's a tough thing to overcome in rural America because we continually get compared to more urban areas and we want to be like that. We, you know, we see the newspaper articles in Green Bay or other places that are having success and we want to do what they're doing. But when I have 300 students at my high school and 300 at the middle school and just a smattering of staff members, you can only do so much. And I think that we have to do better at being who we are. Jeff and I just talked about the imposter syndrome. We can't be somebody else. We have to make sure our schools reflect the personalities of our community communities and also of the students and faculty that we have. Yeah. I mean, it's that whole idea of keeping up with the Joneses, right? In your neighborhoods. And, and we can't compare ourselves just, just like we can't ask students to compare themselves 
to other students, we need to compare ourselves to ourselves. And so, you know, one of the pieces that I'm really passionate about in talking with teachers, especially right now, is to really have them reflect on, so tell me where you were in March and your understanding of meeting students' needs in a virtual environment. And now tell me in December, how have you grown? Like, let's measure yourself to the, the old you in March to the you right now. And, and let's celebrate the growth that you've had. And same thing with leaders, having those exact same conversations. Um, I think we get caught up in the moments of everything we need to fix and do, and we're not doing well, and we don't spend the time to reflect. And we know that reflection is a, a yield strategy that we want students to do. Um, and we need to model that and, and pave the way for that by adults doing the same. Reflection is so powerful. Jeff just published an article in teachbetter.com about reflection and journaling, and yeah. it's, it's very powerful. It's so critical that we, that we, you know, as, as adults make the time for that. And, and um, as, as kids see us, as, as the, see the adults making time for that, you know, hopefully that's a good model and they will do that too. I mean, Roland Barth wrote about that a long time ago in, in Heart of Learning. I think the book is called that, um, that, that we have to model for that. And that's why reading to kids when they're young, though that connection, but the twosome connection, the adult and the, and the child leaves such a lasting impression. And so I think the same thing is true of reflection. Uh, we just have to make time for it. And we're not, you know, I'm not always that great at it because we just feel like we don't have the time. <laughs> so... Tell me, um, Adam, about, uh, you know, I, I remember, oh gosh, it was probably over 10 years ago uh, when I worked in uh, as an elementary principal um, and our district was going to use the rigor and relevance framework, Bill Daggett's, you know, framework um, with the ICLE and uh, everyone bought the book and, you know, we were all reading it. And I'm curious to know if, if that has, if, if that has changed at all with this, um, with the, you know, the change in tide in education and the push for blended learning and, and personalized and um, individualized and all three can mean different things. But do you, do you feel like your work at the ICLE is driving some of that or because of personalized learning and blended learning, you're having to adjust to that with and still use some of those, you know, foundational frameworks from the ICLE? Yeah, that's a really great question. So, you know, at the International Center, we really focus around three areas. And, and part of that is instruction, which means the rigor relevance framework, right? Are we ensuring that we're asking kids to think deeply and to put them in, in what we call quad D experiences, where it's high mm -hmm. rigor, high relevance. Um, and we're creating these authentic experiences for students to really master those skills. And then second to that is then professional collaboration that's student-centered. Right. So let's look at the evidence that students are showing us. And, and is it demonstrating the growth that we want to see for students, which comes into personalization and individualization for students. Right. We want students to be able to grow and we know they grow at different rates. So how do we ensure that that happens? And then really looking at what are the curricular resources that we have that support that. And so as we look at those three areas, what we know is that there is an overlap in a variety of areas, such as digital leadership. Uh, and what does that look like in a virtual environment or in a remote environment or hybrid or whatever you want to call it? And so those components are embedded in all of that work that we do. We look at equity, for example. Um, equity is in all of those things as well, right? Where are the equity gaps that exist for students and in instruction um, in evidence that we see and in, in curricular resources? And so as we look at the work at the International Center, one of the pieces that I share with administrators is that the rigor relevance framework is timeless. 
you know, when you look sure. at what it asks to do, it's, it's getting kids to think deeply at high levels of blooms. And we're asking them to apply it to unpredictable real life situations. And it doesn't matter what educational shift is occurring. We need students thinking deeply on how to solve problems that don't exist yet in the world. Um, and so I think that that piece is a, a great um, opportunity for us just to continue to keep the focus on instruction and how we deliver that um, can look different in every school across the country. And quite frankly, right now, it does look different in almost oh, every sure. school across the country. I'm sure. I mean, listen, that's so that's so true. I mean, it's timeless. And uh, our goal has always been and will continue to be no matter what we're what we're doing is to move them out of the A and B boxes towards those C and D boxes, you know, the higher levels of thinking, not just that rote memory stuff. And and uh, you're right, man. I mean, I think that we, we see that all along, no matter what we're talking about. Uh, we can like our district, for example, is going to have for the first time ever 52 blended courses at the start of next school year at the high school level. And, uh, you know, we, I, I say, along with many others, our department chairs and our assistant superintendent for curriculum and instruction, it doesn't matter if we move to blended, um, you know, a blended model. The, 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 the shift has to be in, in the teacher's thinking first, right? And so when you said, you know, like, what are the resources we have to support, that, that rings true with me. You know, we have to be able to provide that professional learning for them for our teachers and we have to be able to provide them the resources to support this this new model, right? Absolutely. And I think as we look at that, it's it's important for us to recognize and for teachers to give feedback on where they're at and, and what do they need. Mm. Um, we can't just assume we know what teachers need, just like we don't want to assume what students need and know. And so we need to ask them and then we need to know when to push and when to support and providing those resources to help them achieve the goals that they have as educators. Sure. I love that. I love that. Listen, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about uh, your book, man, The Instructional Change Agent. I mean, um, wh where did, uh, you know, with all of that, as our listeners go and, and read your bio, they're going to wonder the same thing. Like, when did you find the time to, to write that book? You know, yeah. talk about so, the book a little bit. Yeah. So I think the first of all, it came as a book I wanted to write in about 2010. I was in my principalship and, and I just wanted a resource where there were there are practical ways to embed success in culture, instruction, learner engagement, community partnerships. And I just thought, man, I wish there was a book that I could just go to. And, and if I wanted to enhance culture, what do I do? And so this has been brewing for a, a long time for me. And so when the opportunity came to actually write it, um, I would tell you it wrote very easily for me. Um, but I would tell you it was in airplanes and in hotel rooms and in airport restaurants. Um, the entire book was written on the road um, and maximizing that, that downtime that I had um, on airplanes when you know, you're in a three and a half hour flight going from you know, Indiana to North Dakota um, or you know, Indiana to Hawaii and working, right? So you just found this time where maybe you know, prior to that, it was watching some Netflix episodes or, you know, um, watching, you know, the news when you're back in your hotel room. So um, I would tell you the other piece was having a, a really great editor who helped build a timeline for when chapters needed to be done. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was a rigorous timeline in the fact that every two weeks a chapter was due. And so uh, for me, it was about let's write it and let's write it well and let's make sure we have the resources that we need. So even adults have deadlines inside of the classrooms, right? Yeah, wow. absolutely. 
Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I, for me, who's a pretty type a checklist type of person, I, I thrived on having those deadlines and, and doing those pieces. I know not everybody does. Um, but for me, it was really helpful in, in moving the book along the process so that we could have it launch at our 2019 model schools conference. Well, I heard you mention that it was, uh, started about 2010. Yeah. That's, that's not really that long to incubate a, a book idea, really. I mean, there's a lot of people that have taken much, much longer, so, and then, like you said, to have it, it kind of wrote itself. I, mean, I, I added some words to your own thoughts, but it wrote easy or wrote well, you said? Yeah, so. yeah, um, it, it, it really did. And, it, and when you look at those areas around, because the book's divided into four parts, culture, instruction, engagement, and community partnerships. And when you look at those four areas, those are really the buckets um, that everything leaders do. And if it doesn't fit into those buckets, we probably shouldn't be spending time in it. Mm. And so then it was, how do we, how do we leverage ways to help people be more effective in instructional planning as leaders, or how do we enhance the community partnerships that we have in our communities? And so when you start thinking about those action steps, um, it really became apparent pretty easily on what needed to be identified. I don't, um, I don't want to sound like a groupie, you know, like I don't have like a signed shirt that says Adam Drummond or anything, but in prepping for connecting with you the first time we had to cancel one session, but then uh, I bought the book and I really wish that somebody would have told me more. I would have paid more attention when it first came out because I think it, like you said, it wrote pretty well for you, pretty easy, came, came easy, whatever. I forget the exact words. We can review that though, Jeff, and I could correct myself through edits, <laughs> but it also reads very well. I didn't finish it yet, but I, I like how I feel like I can pick up the book and I can implement your ideas in my mm. school the next day. And I think a lot of principals can appreciate that. So much of what we learn in our core instructional you know, practices or our classrooms for um, our master's programs or undergraduate work, it, it, it definitely doesn't make any sense now. There, there was nothing in my master's work that said, when COVID-19 comes, you right. should prepare this. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, and I think that the, I really, I just appreciate your writing for the pieces I've read so far. And uh, so thank you for investing even into the, the, the principles again, to keep that learning curve going. Yeah. Well, and I, I'm appreciative that you, you noticed the, the direct application you know, that was really an intentional, you know, early on in, in working with the editor and even some feedback from folks, it was, well, you don't have the research necessarily cited after you say something, right? And I was intentional in saying, yeah, I don't, this isn't a book that I want to get bogged down in, in cite insight, in-text citations and, and have those pieces. So at the end of the book, for those who are like, hey, where's the research? You know, I give the articles or the books that were inspired for the ideas and the application, but this is really a a book that was designed to, you could pick it up and you could read it cover to cover. You could read it by parts or you could go and say, Hey, I want to really know more about way 27, read it, put it back up and, and use it later. Uh, Jeff and I have another friend, maybe, you know, her name is Bobby French and mm -hmm. uh, she just started podcasting and Adam welcome said, you know, not just do it. What does he say, Jeff? Not just do it. It's something else. Just start. Just start. Just, just so start. Something similar. So just start. Yeah. And I get caught in that trap. So I read the books and then I have this date set sometime in the future that I, I can't, I can't release this training yet because I'm not, I'm not fully, I'm not a master yet. And I think sometimes our teachers need to see us as educational leaders yeah. with, you know, formal leaders with the title of principal in the building, maybe see us fail when I bring forward an idea that I think, or maybe I just bring the forward, the idea, bring the idea forward to them and have them tell me, man, this is not a good thing. Why, why are we doing this? So I don't think it has to be perfect. We just have to start. Absolutely. 
That's so true. Just starting. You said a couple other things that resonated too. I mean, you, you had deadlines, you know, so I think it's important that in order to get into a habit, if, if you are to get into habit, to set deadlines for yourself, it's important for, for, for anybody listening right now, whether you're going to write a book or not, if you want to get something done, like you, you wrote the book, Bobby started the podcast. We started this podcast. You got to turn off Netflix <laughs> <laughs> and you got to just, you have to set deadlines for yourself and stick to them. That's yeah. the only way for, for, for habits to form or for you to get out of a rut or whatever else it is you're trying to do. I think this is important for our listeners to learn that you don't have to be writing a book, but whatever it is you're doing, just start, set some deadlines and turn off Netflix. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that's easy as that, right? Yeah. That's yeah, for sure. Easy. Sure. Sure. Uh, sure. <laughs> No, it, it really is. And I think so often, you know, we think about, and I, and I love the, the part that you brought in from Adam Welcome about just start, um, because I think that's part of it, right? Like, I think people are afraid yeah. uh, of failure. And so they, they refuse to start because if I don't start it, then I can't fail it. Mm -hmm. And then I'm not a failure. And, you know, I think we have to be willing to lead forward and make sure whatever we're spending our time in, it's, we're spending mm -hmm. our time in something we're passionate about. And we're willing to take that risk. Well, yeah. I, I would imagine one of your passion projects, and it's the way I started my day today, and now I'm finishing my day with the real Adam Drummond. But I listened to a few of your podcasts over the last few days, and this last one was just between you and Mark, and kind of reviewing the hundred-year pandemic, you know, or hundred-year yeah. career, or whatever the title was, you know. So, is it a passion project, or what's what's the intent of your podcast? Yeah, great question, and thanks for bringing that up too. You know. Mark McMoyle is a, a principal at Mount Westonka High School in Minnesota, and um, we connected a few years back. And, and what we really want to do is we just want to elevate the voice of leaders and, and hear what's one or two things they're doing that they're proud of and making a difference. And so that's really where the idea came from. And then, um, you know, we took a little bit of a hiatus here in the, in the spring and summer, um, thanks to COVID. And, you know, folks just trying to live, right? Mm -hmm. And so then this second session that we're, our second season we're starting is really around the social emotional wellness of, of school leaders, right? Asking the, the simple question, how are you? And then just mm -hmm. letting it roll um, based on where leaders are at. I love your episode with Joe Sanfilippo. He's one of my favorites anyway. Yeah. He's a fellow cheesehead, so it, it's helpful. Yeah. But yeah, right. He's really wise, just really simplistic wisdom. And I, I, that doesn't mean that I'm playing him down, but just his wisdom is so applicable. And I, so good job on the interview. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. He's, he's a great guy. Go crickets. Uh, yeah. And, you know, his, you his message around joy, I think just resonates with everybody right now. Oh mm. yeah. Yep. And that's so true. That's so true. Thanks for sharing that about the uh, podcast. That's called Lead Change in Education for our for our listeners out there. So, thanks for thanks for uh, picking that back up too, Adam. After a hiatus, we appreciate that. Your voice cool. is important. So, t tell us about a, a leadership challenge that you faced in in your career. It can be you know anything from the time you started to to recently. Maybe it's a change. Maybe it's a challenge you're going through right now that you're uh, experiencing. One one of the things that we like to make sure that uh, uh, our our guests, our listeners, get out of the show is hearing from other educational leaders uh, that that everyone has a challenge, and sometimes it takes longer to get out of those. Sometimes they're still in a rut right now, and and what you're doing to work on that or how you faced that well right. jeff have you seen his biography or his bio well yeah he hasn't had any challenges he just you know he's right. got it all under the covers yeah that's if right only that were the case right yeah uh, right. <laughs> you know 
one, I mean, several come into mind, but one in particular, I was a principal um, at my pre-K five elementary school and, and don't necessarily live in the most diverse of, an, of, of school communities at the time. And, but however, wasn't as a, as a pre-K five principal in a turnaround school, I was the most diverse school in the district. And I had a mom who had three children in our school and, and all three girls were, were biracial. Um, and she left a message on my phone uh, two minutes long on a Friday evening that um, she was not happy. You know, her kids were being targeted and discriminated against and um, I don't create a safe school and, and what am I gonna do about it? And, and so mm-hmm. um, got the message Friday night and once a month I go in and work Saturdays for four or five hours, mainly because I was the only one in the building Saturday mornings and could think and, and put some thoughts together. And so I gave her a call and um, I found myself in the first 30 minutes trying to defend how she was wrong, right? Mm. You know, saying, no, that's not the case. Like, this is what we do here. And, and we make sure everybody is, is um, welcome and safe. And, and finally, she just said, you're not listening to me. And it just kind of hit me in the face. And it was, you're right. I wasn't listening, right? Mm. I was trying to explain to her all the great things that are happening in our school and how our school would never be that way. Um, and the realization was that perception's reality. And, mm-hmm. you know, when, when she said that and I stopped and, and kind of collected my thoughts and said, you're right, I'm not, let's start again. And, mm-hmm. you know, listen to the concerns and, and asked, you know, what are ways that we can um, solve this problem and, and what can I do differently and, and what can our teachers do differently and, and what can we do to help your students thrive in the school? Uh, and for me, that was a, a huge wake up moment that um, I need not to make assumptions about what people are going through and what students are going through, especially students who um, are marginalized, whether that's because of race, whether that's because of, of ethnicity, um, religious beliefs, um, academic deficiencies, um, poverty, whatever those, those divides are, to really stop and listen and, and understand this is where they're at and what do I need to do to make it better? Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I'm called to do, right? You know, all students, 100% of the time, right? And so, you know, in those moments, that parent taught me more than probably any other parent did in my career, um, is that it's important to listen more and talk less. Hmm. That's a great lesson for Jeff to learn. <laughs> <laughs> Why did I give you an opening? I knew you were going to take that. I, I knew you should have. Uh, I knew you were going to take that rather. That's for sure. It's yeah. so true. It's so true. You know, somebody asked me, you know, uh, I think I was on uh, another podcast being interviewed. I think it was Kevin Curtis. Like, what would you tell tell your younger self? And uh, I, I said, essentially, that what you just said, uh, what, your, what your lesson was, I, I would have told my younger self to shut up and listen. you're you're not listening and and it it is in those moments and from um these types of instances and situations where you realize that wow you know i i just i just was not hearing you and whether it was because i felt like i needed to defend like you did on that particular case or whether you felt you were right and whenever that happens i feel like you're not you you know you're not able to listen you know you you shut down that half of your brain and and uh, we really have to work on that and be intentional about that yeah. No doubt about it. Uh, Jeff, you probably feel like you're talking to your younger self right now. Me. My, I right? Do. Yeah, you, yeah. You are my younger self. You're a few years behind me and yeah. I know you'll get there. 
it is it's hard though to to actually do that no no jokes it's it's hard because i think throughout the day the problems come to me they come to the office wherever i encounter uh, you know somebody a student a faculty member a parent asking questions we want to jump in and solve that problem but sometimes if you wait long enough you probably will hear it or sometimes they just want to tell me the problem and it's just a listening session it's not even a, it's not any action driven except for the listening yeah. yeah, so true. And, you know, when I, when I was in the, the principalship, you know, there were times with staff members, I would just ask them, like, what role do you want me to play right now? Mm. Do you want me to play just a supporter, a listener, a cheerleader, an action-oriented leader? Like, what is it that you want me to do? Um, because so often, I think as a principal, I was in the fix-it mode, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, let always. me take those problems off your shoulders. And, and sometimes we don't need to do that. And so I think it's important when you're having conversations with staff to really frame you know, what, how can I serve you right now? And, and what do you need me to do to help? Mm. Um, I think having that frame can really help not only the, the situation, but also deepen the relationship. So, so true. Yeah, very true. And it's take, I think it takes a long time to learn that, you know, I, I, I can apply that to my home life too. My wife tells me all the time, I, I, you just sit <laughs> and listen, I don't need you to fix this. And it's yeah. very hard for me to, to uh, accept that sometimes, you know, um, but I think that just becomes from comes from the the role that we play in schools. You know, I still am stuck in that mode when I get home and want to fix something and can't always. And that that's OK. No, I don't think it's a bad thing that we want to try and fix them. I just think that sometimes we can't and it's not necessary either that we need to give people the uh, we need to empower them to come mm. up to that. That's another phrase that we've been using a lot lately, but we need to empower them to come up with their own solutions. And I could just be maybe a catalyst for an idea just to be able to support them in, in that endeavor. Mm. You know, uh, Adam, when we look at your, your history, your websites, the books, listening to you tonight, you've had you, your, your career has really had a, a large horizon of experiences from classroom to travel to authoring. So of all of those experiences that you've had, what are you most hopeful for as we sit in the middle of a pandemic, not a lot of travel happening. So what, what brings you hope for the next year, two years, 10 years? What, what's Adam Drummond thinking that makes him hopeful? You know, when it, that's a really great question. And when I think about hope uh, and I think about the work that's happening right now, uh, I'm, I feel very hopeful that our students are going to be more resilient and they're going to rise from this occasion as, as stronger individuals. You know, I, I think about my five-year-old daughter who started kindergarten this year mm -hmm. and, you know, the, the whole, you know, kids aren't going to listen. They're not going to wear their masks. They're not going to, you know, they're not going to be able to focus, attend a task. And I, you know, in August, we send her to school with a, with a mask and her biggest concern was, does it match my outfit? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, and here we are now in, in December and in one hand, it's, you know, she wears her mask every day and it's not a big deal, right? It's just, it's part of what I do um, at school. And so part of me is like, oh, man, I wish that wasn't the case. Yeah. Um, but the other part of me is I, I see her grow and learn um, and she knows her letters and sounds and is starting to read. And, and that's all during a global pandemic. Yes. And, you know, I think the, the hope that I see is that teachers are working tirelessly um, to make sure that their students are going to thrive. And I think that, you know, in the spring when this all happened, we saw teachers and, and educational entities celebrated, you know, look how wonderful they are. They turned overnight and were able to provide these services. And then when we came back into the fall and 
reality set in that we're going to be in a new type of environment, um, I think it was, wow, what is this supposed to look like? And to those teachers and leaders that are exhausted right now, you know, two weeks before the end of or start of Christmas break, you have a lot to celebrate. You, you've made an impact and a difference in the world. And you as educators have risen to the challenge to make sure that students are going to thrive and they're going to be more successful because of the work that's happening. And so I'm hopeful because we see that happening every day and it is exhausting and there is frustrations, right? You know, talking with a, an administrator in a, another state and saying, you know, we have kids who don't show up for attendance uh, and I can't get them to turn on their, their Zoom link and, and participate. Those are real challenges right now. Um, but what I don't hear is I'm just going to give up, right? Yeah. Like, it's how do I make, how do I make it better? Right. And I think those are traits that are intuitive to teachers and leaders is how do I make it better? And I want every student to be successful. So that's what brings me hope. Mm. Oh, and I, I love all of that. And when I hear you talk about our, our teachers and our students, the thing that continually resonates with me is that we need to continue to empower our students hearing your daughter you know, we, we said that, right? We said, boy, these kids aren't going to keep their masks on. It's the adults right. that don't keep their masks on. Yeah. So we need to empower our students to be the leaders that they can, because we see them. I see our children and our high school students and they're getting it done. I mean, there are the students that aren't logging in. We have the same problems in Wisconsin, but uh, yeah, it, it's encouraging to see students like your daughter who have said, yeah, I, yeah, I got to wear a mask. That's how it goes. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know it was going to be different. Well, and, and we want we want students to be successful. We need them to be successful, right? You know, the the other piece is, you know, this is their one year experience, right? My oldest son's a sophomore in high school, and this is his only sophomore year. And so, pandemic or not, it's got to be fantastic for him. Yeah. Um. And and I need him to grow and to learn and and to be able to take that next step in his educational journey. So there is that sense of urgency. Um, and I think that that weighs on us, um, but there also needs to be a sense of pride of what we've accomplished as educators across the country um, we, since March to today. We have talked about this several times and we never wanted to, to minimize the fact that 200 and some thousand people have died due to COVID-19, but there have been some things that have gone well in the middle of a pandemic or be su surprises. And some of those things should be celebrated as well. My son turned 16 in Wisconsin. They're waiving the driver's test for 16 year olds as long as they complete their coursework and everything and, and the hours of driving with mom and dad and also the instructor. But I think I was more nervous for my two daughters when they got their driver's license than they ever were about taking the test. I couldn't sleep the night before because yeah. I just thought, man, if they fail their driver's test and have to go to school the next day, they're going to be just wrought with embarrassment. Well, he didn't have to do that. So he's relished in the fact that he didn't have to take his driver's test. So, I mean, those are small victories, but you talk about a 10th grader, not to them. It's not small to my son. That was a big part of his junior year, but big part of his junior year. Yeah. And I think those unintended situations arise, right? Like, you know, I shared earlier, I'm on the road 70% of the time pre-COVID and, you know, I've not traveled since the middle of March. Um, what that's allowed me to do is coach my son's fifth grade basketball team at the Y, right? Like that's a, a positive thing that's come out of that situation. Yep. And so, you know, I think, you know, as we, as we just continue to reflect and, and find those positives, those positives are what build us up to continue um, to get up the next morning and, and to continue to be what we need for our students, for our teachers, for our family, and for our community. Well, I don't think that Jeff and I want to take much more of your time because you are coaching and writing books yeah. and doing all those other things, even though you're at home. 
So yeah. we don't want to take any more of your time this evening. Yeah, but that's awesome. I, I love that that line that you meant for your son, but it can be used for everyone, pandemic or not. Yep. It's got to be fantastic. Uh, yep. I, I mean, I, I love that. If we can all remember that, uh, we will have a lot to celebrate. And I, and I think we do have a lot to celebrate, especially teachers. You know, they're, they're killing it every single day in the okay. classroom. Yep. Um, and if they keep that mantra in mind, pandemic or not, it's got to be fantastic. I think we'll I think we'll be all right. So. You heard it here first, people. <laughs> you heard it. You heard it here first. Go out and buy the book, Instructional Change Agent. Check out the podcast, Lead Change in Education. Adam, if people want to get a hold of you and just talk further about some of the ideas you presented here tonight, how can they do that? Yeah, definitely. There's a, a couple of different ways. They can go to the website, um, adamddrummond.com, um, and there's a way to connect. The fastest and, and easiest way is to go on Twitter. And send me a DM at Adam D. Drummond. Um, right. you know, that literally can pop up right now and, and we can engage in a conversation and, and do that. So that's the fastest. That's the easiest way. Um, and love to connect through our, through our PLN in that fashion. Great. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. We'll put those uh, ways to connect with you in the show notes when your episode drops. And uh, it's been a real pleasure um, just getting to know you tonight and chatting with you. So thanks for being on the Principal Leadership Lab, Adam. Well, thank you and, and best of luck to both of you and, and love what you're doing with your show. Um, and I thank think you're, you're inspiring you. folks across the country. So thank you for the work that you do in addition to your day job. So <laughs> really appreciate that. Really appreciate it. All right, guys, have a great night. Have a good holiday. Adam, take care. Other Adam, see you next time on the Principal Leadership Lab. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode of the Principal Leadership Lab. Feel free to connect with us in between episodes on Twitter and on Instagram. All of our information is included within our show notes. Until next time, this is Adam signing off for the Principal Leadership Lab.